All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Because Football podcast. This is your host, Coach Andrew, and today we have our guest, Jessica Malone. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, happy to be here. Awesome. So ever since I saw your Instagram handle, Soccer Sabbatical, I was like, wow, is it possible for sabbatical to last your entire life? Because I think that's what I would like to have. Um, so first of all, major props uh, on on that uh, on that that move, um, and very jealous. Too, but just kind of give us the short, short and sweep, and where you're from, and and uh, where you are today. Sure. So I'm currently sitting in uh, South Philadelphia, about a mile north of Citizens Bank Park, um, where I live now. But I'm from Franklin County, Pennsylvania, originally. So I grew up playing, um, you know, local youth soccer there. Um, but I became a huge fan of the sport of soccer, of watching it during the 1998 World Cup um, on TV in the summertime, which is completely enamored, just like the right age, um, nothing to do in the summer, just sitting around, not, you know, the internet wasn't really a thing yet. And I just right. transported out of South Central Pennsylvania to, into France in my brain and learned so much about the world through that tournament. Um, and on the back of that, with the 1999 Women's World Cup, which I was fortunate enough to attend mm -hmm. some games in DC. Awesome. Um, awesome. It was like perfect age, uh, you know, for that 99er mentality to really like sink its teeth into me. And so I've been, I've been following the sport for 25 years now. Um, obviously what that looks like has changed a lot um, over that time. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, in the last 10 years, I've started traveling to attend games, um, yeah. national team games, club team games. It started with traveling to watch U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifiers around 2013. Um, and then in 2017, I really started uh, traveling to England and Germany to watch some of the club teams that, you know, the younger U.S. Men's team players were playing on uh, that really sort of picked up the hobby of what's called ground hopping, which is trying right. to get to as many stadiums to see yeah. games as possible. I didn't even know um, it was a thing I do now. There, there's an app where you can track it all. So I know I've seen that. Um, yeah, I know my stats. Yeah. Um, so what is your what's your stat as of today, as uh, August twenty third? Uh, I think I've been to, so New Zealand, where I just was for the World Cup, was my nineteenth country that I've seen a game. Okay, fantastic. And I got to my ninetieth stadium while I was there. Okay, awesome. So, so we're getting close to those. <laughs> So the, the hundred level. Yeah, I'm not in a rush. Place. I'm sort of savoring it. Yeah. Um, you know, I work full time, so it's not not as easy uh, as it as it was during certain periods of my life. But um, mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of through doing that, I've really gotten to observe uh, what these clubs mean in their communities, who's in the stadium, how the clubs interact with the communities, and it's just this really fascinating like social observation of the game um, and all the narratives around it. And so I've sort of. Yeah. Um, I'm a neutral. I don't have a favorite club team, so I don't have any skin in the game. Like I'm literally just observing and sort of trolling everyone equally. Right. Um, but I, you know, I've seen so many fascinating things and had so many fascinating things happen to me during this, which is, you know, sort of a hobby or I guess you could call it a passion project. Really, it's just a fun way For to sure. disposable income. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm being completely honest, but, um, you know, it's, it's what I love to do. Um, almost all of my travel now is planned around trying to get to a game somewhere. Uh, and that's just sort of my highest priority and what, what makes me happy. So I'm really fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and I just got back from the World Cup in New Zealand. So yes. um, recently off of a off of a 16-day trip with the sole purpose of going to games. Awesome. awesome. So there's so many places I'd like to go, obviously, like for me, the 1990 World Cup, 99, sorry, 1999 World Cup was also like super formative. For 98, I don't remember watching it all. I remember like being at a pool and it's like one of those weird childhood memories. And I just remember like hearing that France won. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah. And I played a little soccer at the time. I was like, okay, I heard France. And then as a boy in like 1999, mm -hmm. like the men's team kind of suck, right? Like we're, we're good in, in CONCACAF, but we're like, like, as an American growing up, you expect to be the best, right? right? So it's like, oh, the women are the best. The women are the best in the world. Like, that's who we're going to be following. That's who I'm going to be watching. And and uh, so many of, of those games and those players, like, you know, Mia and Brandy Chastain and Christine Lilly and Julie Foudy and, and Michelle Akers, like, and then Brianna Scurry, like, so many of those players were really formative to me. Um, and that was, like, kind of the first World Cup where I feel like I watched a lot and, and really connected with. Um, and I feel like that 
arguably had a bigger impact than even like the 94 World Cup that the U.S. hosted. Like, what do you think kind of made that moment such a big kind of a, a pivotal moment in like American soccer in general? Yeah, I I was a bit too young for 1994. My memory of the final Same. sort of yeah. like yours, it's a little fuzzy, although fortunately I we knew a a family that were huge soccer fans and someone pulled me into the living room to watch the penalty shootout. So I, I do remember watching that, but I have no other memories of the tournament didn't go to any games. Um, I think like MLS had formed by the time the 99 yes. women's yeah. world cup was happening. Like I had been to DC United games before that mm-hmm. women's world cup happened. So I think, you know, people were sort of starting to go to games at stadiums in the U S right. already. Um, obviously there was a huge crowd draw. And if you've read any of the books or watched any of the documentaries or lived through the 99 world cup, you remember that players were literally like handing out tickets to fans, um, in the months leading up to it. Like the players themselves were doing a ton of PR around this. Um, they really just like swung for the fences from a marketing perspective and it, and it worked. I mean, I remember like seeing an ad probably in the Washington post about how to get tickets and call mm-hmm. like calling, yeah, tickets and going to um, two double headers at God, I can't even remember what stadium it was. Jack Kent Cook at the time, maybe somewhere in Maryland. Um, and you know, I, I, one of the games that I went to was the U.S. quarterfinal against Germany. So it was a double okay. header. It was U.S. against Germany first, and then Brazil, Nigeria, Brazil. back to back, <laughs> which is insane. Wild if you think about it now. Wild and too much dopamine in that U.S. game. Well. Everyone knows Brandy Chastain for obviously the penalty that won that World Cup, but yeah. she scored an own goal against Germany and she mm-hmm. passed the ball into our net and like five minutes into that Germany game. And it was, I thought I was going to die. It was my first sports related like crisis moment of anxiety that I, I really felt in my life. And I was like, I don't ever want to feel this again. This is terrible. <laughs> but at the and same course, time, it's a hook though, right? Yeah. And of course they a, came back uh, and won that back. game and it, you know, so I think, if you had started watching at that point, maybe as a casual fan, you already get just the way the games were going, the narrative, all of it. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, with the U.S. and with everything with Title IX and college soccer here and and the way how much further along we've been able to get with women playing the sport, um, I think we were just ready as a nation to embrace the tournament. Um mm-hmm. It wasn't perfect. Obviously, there were still like stupid things being said to the players and weird promotional stuff that they were doing just because it was like women and it was the 90s. Um, but it clearly, you know, they were able to launch a professional league off the back of that. But the the success sort of didn't necessarily sustain in a in a marketable way or a commercially successful right. way. And, and my fandom, too, of the women's game dropped off after that. I kept following the men's game closely. Um, but there just wasn't access to to the women's side of the sport in the same way that there was um, with the men's at that time. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like the media coverage, I remember mm-hmm. to your point of like the marketing push for the the 99 World Cup, some of those like commercials, whether it was for the, the World Cup itself, or I think it was like, you know, a lot of the Nike commercial stuff were like still ingrained. It was like, yeah, just they crush it from that angle, just building a story, building like picking and, and making their heroes, whether it was for, you know, I still remember like the one with like Soon Wen, the Chinese player, mm-hmm. right? Like she was like a top player in the world at the time. Yeah. And like that ad and just for different. And I think that was a big part. But then to your point, getting the the women's league started up, there just wasn't the same like media covered. And and to be fair at the time, it's not like the MLS was getting a right. ton, but obviously more resources, more, more support. Um, and so it's been on the women's side, this process of like, starting and, and riding that momentum dropping off you know because mm-hmm. soccer's as for still m- most of the the history in the u.s and professional sports soccer still been a pretty tough sell um and has to be kind of gimmicky and things like that or or maybe there's one moment that was tough to sustain it i think it's like trying to get deeper into that cultural level like everybody yeah. can get with the spectacle of a major tournament of a world championship and be like swept up in that the olympics it's like any sport yep, how do we know. how do we like get it into that like yeah. cultural level where it's, and like it seems like it grabbed you because now years later like it's it's something that you know you don't necessarily even have a team to like live and die with or a club right. team at least um but but that's something i think about a lot so what do you think is like a difference from a, a cultural standpoint and speaking to a little bit like you mentioned what clubs mean in their communities from a, the the cultural aspects in the U.S. or let's say at least mainstream 
uh, in the United States, because as we know, such a diverse country there, like soccer is so important to other, other communities, but just not on a mainstream level, like that versus like what it would be in a, you know, in a Spain and England and mm -hmm. Argentina, like what's on a cultural level, like how is, how is it different? So I'm fortunate enough that I've been to games in these places so I can I can sort of compare like what I see in the stadiums. But with, there's a caveat to that, which is that in most cases, I've only been to one game of okay. a team, at a team's home stadium. So, you know, maybe it's not representative of what happens there all the time. Um, the U.S., like at your average MLS game, there's a, comparatively there's a pretty high percentage of women compared to what I see across the mm -hmm. globe or what I've seen. Um, I haven't really like thought of that much or paid it much mind until I started traveling um, because it's pretty like, it's a pretty low percentage in England um, specifically. That's one of the, the lowest percentages of, okay. of women or I should say of just people who don't identify as men um, in the crowd. Um, Spain, there are more women. Germany, the Netherlands, more women. Um, Argentina, Brazil is probably the highest percentage of women that I've seen at a stadium outside of the U.S. Okay. Um, I went to a Flamengo game at the Maracanat and I was like, there's 50% women here. This is amazing. Like, I feel safe. I Sure. <laughs> it's just a totally different, you know, you feel it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really fascinating. And there are a lot of reasons why someone who loves a team might not want to go to a stadium and might not feel comfortable or like they belong there or feel safe there, which is a whole other thing. Um but, you know, here in the U.S., we definitely have, like, anyone will go to a sporting event. There's no sort of right. stigma against women. There's nothing like, oh, this is for the men only, or it's the guy's mm -hmm. day out. You know, women will go <laughs> watch whatever sporting event with men or without them. Um, and obviously, you know, soccer tends to bring a lot of families. So you get um, absolutely a lot more gender diversity just because of that. But I, I, it's probably been that way since the beginning. I don't remember what I was seeing in those early MLS crowds. but. Um, you know, I, I think it's, there's a pretty good mix in the U.S. Um, for whatever reason <laughs> that may be. And I, you know, in my experience, a lot of countries still have a way to go, but there are also, there's a lot of gatekeeping going on to keep mm. their stadium diversity at bay, <laughs> uh, which is unfortunate. And that's not like policies that, that the club is putting out necessarily, although there can be stuff like there aren't very many women's bathrooms or there are no gender neutral bathrooms or you know, that's one of the big ones, or you just don't, the way the stadium is set up, you just don't feel that safe there, um, or the, like where the supporter section is, um, you know, uh, outside of the U.S., everywhere that I've been, they, the, the away support is in their own section, there are no sure. fans of opposing teams sitting next right. to each other, and actually in, in Buenos Aires, for the top five teams, they don't even let away fans in the stadium, Yeah, <laughs> because there have been yeah. some incidents um, in the past. So there's no one from the opposite team there on game day. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting. I spend a lot of time observing crowds and thinking about who's not there that probably loves a team and wishes they could be there. And maybe it's economic reasons that they can't be there, but I, I get the feeling that it's a lot of other things, um, just because of who is there. It's a very homogenous Mm -hmm. Proud and and yeah uh, and, and unfortunately one of the the things of like the the game that brings out so much passion in us at mm -hmm. the end of the day it is kind of almost like a proxy you know for yeah. battle and for like warfare and so it creates all this us and them and these tribal feelings and 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 to your point of what the clubs mean in the communities like I think one part of the United States where it's a little bit different like you might get it at Eagles games where people are a little bit more on edge but like like yeah. in the U S is generally a franchise where right. They're like, hey, we're going to come in. We made this league. Yeah. We're coming in. We're going to put this team here. Whereas, like, in most parts of the world, these clubs have grown organically from a few streets in a neighborhood to the neighborhood right. itself. Um, looking, you know, talking about, like, you know, Liverpool and Everton, for example. Mm -hmm. Imagine having two, like, major teams, a, a park's right. distance away from each other, right? Yeah. Um, and so well, there I think, are two and teams that's across the street it. from each other in Buenos Aires. Really? Two rival stadiums be, across the street from each be, other. They're even closer. Yeah. Even closer. So it just depends not even what side of the park, but what side of the street yeah. you're on. So, but again, it creates those kind of like, it can create the us versus them, which is not always the best environment. I know there have been general, uh, some, some policies and things after, after incidents and atrocities and things of, of trying to, to change that. 
Um, but that's something I didn't really think about in the U.S. Maybe it's just a bit more family friendly. It's trying to be marketed that way. And, and uh, yeah, I think it, I think there was an open. aggressive push for that um, early because it, people thought like the, that's where the money is going to come from. And so now you see MLS clubs sort of try. They're like, how do we win over the millennials without cars? And get them, you yeah. know, and like we need to build all these stadiums downtown because no one wants to drive to them anymore. And so they're they're trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, it's uh, going to going to games in the U.S. is great, but it, you don't get the same necessary like. I guess I don't want to say that U.S. fans aren't passionate, but it's just a different feel when you're in stadiums mm-hmm. in other countries, and there there are a lot of reasons for that. And teams here do try to replicate. Um, you know, what they see in other countries and some sure. of it is growing organically, which is great, but it's just yep. decades behind. I mean, the league MLS started in the late nineties or the mid nineties. So it's going to take decades for this stuff to, for you, what Absolutely. is U.S. soccer fan culture in stadium? What should the experience be like to sort of solidify? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, to that point of you know, deeper cultural things trying to, it does, it takes a time. Right. Um, so of course, throughout your travels, it's been a lot of like clubs game, club games on mm-hmm. the men's side. Of you know, at this point, I guess has it been how many uh, women's World Cups? Because I know you, the U.S. one. I know you went to the France one. Obviously, the most recent Australia, yeah. New Zealand. So I've been to three women's World Cups, and then I went to okay. Russia in 2018 for the men's. Okay. Uh, but I only started my Instagram account in 2019, so everything pre. <laughs> 2019. Gotcha. You just got to go through the archives, you know, yeah. dig through the, the files. Dig through the old content. What's, is there a difference, or what is the difference between like maybe a general feeling when you go to a club match versus yeah. like uh, a national match? Obviously the World Cup itself is something special, but you've been to a lot of friendlies and qualifiers mm-hmm. for the national teams as well. Like what would you say is kind of a difference, you know, the the country versus club atmosphere yeah I guess I'm trying to think of who I've seen what national teams I've seen play at home I guess France in 2019 um during the World Cup New Zealand during the recent World Cup and then the the U.S. men's and women's during you know tournaments or qualifiers so like when you go to a U.S. men's national team World Cup qualifier there's a air of desperation because we need points we need to win the game everyone's nervous you know there's there are real consequences if you don't get the job done, especially at, at home where, you know, sort of the, the general logic of the whole CONCACAF World Cup qualifying cycle is win at home, tie on the road, and you're you're good. So when you can't do that or when you go down a goal, it really gets pretty quiet. Um, <laughs> I was at the, the first game of the most recent men's qualifying cycle when we played Canada um, in Nashville and... I just remember like Canada scored and it was so quiet and like the crowd seemed very bored. They were playing in the NFL stadium and the um, camera operator just started showing a guy chugging a beer on screen during the game and everyone started cheering. And I was like, what is this? This is terrible. <laughs> and it's I'm not blaming the fan. Like I'm not yeah. throwing the fans under the bus there. I wasn't making a ton of noise. I don't make a ton of noise at games. Like I'm an observer um, and I'm not there to like scream my head off at people or the ref or whatever um but it you know it's pretty it's pretty interesting whereas clubs they have you know they've got their songs they've got their chants they've got the players that they are you know and everyone knows the club so intimately that they know if they're playing well they know if they're playing poorly Mm -hmm. they see them week in week out maybe they're season ticket holders they spend a lot of money on merchandise a lot of money on tickets um so you really get you know, it's just, there's just more background noise. There's more ambient noise at a right game, right? Interesting. And does that change, obviously, with the World Cup just being a massive spectacle in itself? Like, even in a country, for example, like you were in New Zealand, mm-hmm. that's a rugby country, yeah. right? Like predominantly, right? They they love the the All yeah. Blacks there. So so, do you feel like a ship? Were, were you speaking to local like Kiwis and say, hey, like you know, everybody's yeah. kind of so swept I up was... in that and. and I was at the opening match against Norway um, at Eden Park. Um, and it was, it was made, I mean, it's one of my favorite games that I've ever been to because New Zealand got their first ever victory yeah. in the World Cup. And it was, you know, a home match, the opener. It was incredible. Um, but it was pretty funny watching the crowd and like listening to them because, like you said, they're sort of a rugby cl- crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, there were definitely people in the crowd that knew the game well and knew what was going on, but it was like kind of quiet uh, for 
a while and like more quiet than, you know, a sporting event in America where, you know, people tend to just want to go have a good time, drink a ton of beers, whatever. Like that's not outside of the US. That's not what my experience at soccer games have been. People are there to watch the game. You know, they're like, it's 90 minutes. Like we're all just here to sit in our seats and actually watch the game. We're not going to spend our time in line for nachos and beers. Yeah. Um, Crab fries. Toughest turn down though. Um, But they, at one point on a Norway corner kick, someone started chanting like defense, doing a defense chant like us or american football or basketball it was pretty yeah. but through i mean they picked it up pretty quickly and they were cheering their hearts out at like every tackle every ball that went out of bounds against norway it was you could feel the country or that crowd at least sort of falling in love with it and as it you know it gets to halftime and at zero zero you could tell people were like okay we can win this and really mm-hmm. really getting behind the team and it, it was just incredible to be there yeah. And that's like a, such a pivotal moment for, you know, for women's yeah. football, especially, but, but football in general in New Zealand of like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, it's our first met, we're hosts, right? We're the yeah, hosts they did well. They played a, a tough team and, and, you know, we got to win and draw. Gotta get a result. Yeah. You know, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I had, let's see, let's see. Um, so, so speaking of, of now, that was your third World Cup, and we're you know 24 years on from mm-hmm. 1999. Um, and obviously, the a big story from an American perspective for the most recent World Cup is the women's team pretty much underperforming, right? Never seeming yeah. to fully get going. There could be so many reasons for that, and I don't necessarily want to to spend a lot of time on that um, mm-hmm. because I think the clear thing is that like as has, we've been sensing, and now maybe it's a, just a, a more obvious uh, and, and definitive example is like the rest of the world has been catching up on the yeah. women's side of the game. Um, is that something that you've kind of noticed and, and like obviously like had your your finger on the, the temperature of it? And what do you think is kind of, uh, how has maybe even just 2023 changed mm-hmm. from like 2019, the level of play and everything like yeah, that? Yeah, I, I definitely thought this shift was coming in 2019. Um, and it, you know, maybe in some, in some ways it did, but overall it, it didn't, I think statistically actually the U, even though everyone else got better, the U S got like more better. So, you know, we're still advancing, um, and doing even more so than everyone else when, you know, when they expanded the tournament to 32 teams going into 2023, I had no idea what to expect. And I, even going into mm-hmm. this tournament was telling people like, there might be more 13, nothings. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. We get ready. Yeah. And I, and I was telling people like, I hope I am wrong. I hope I am so wrong. And I was, and I've never been happier in my life to be wrong. Um, I learned a long time ago to not tie my personal happiness to the success of U.S. national teams, uh, which is great for me. I saw a lot of people not having a good time. I was at the all three mm. of the U.S. group stage games and people were going through it. Um, there were sort of two groups of people. There's people who obviously were willing to travel to New Zealand. So they, they're passionate about the team, but maybe hadn't sure. been closely following for the past couple of years. And then there were the people who were sort of, were very online um, and had been sort of in the know about what was going on and were not really surprised by anything that happened. So it was fascinating to be at the U.S. games and watching those two groups of people interact as, you know, some are like, yeah, like, obviously this is what's happening. And other people being mm. indignant and being like, I have tickets to the final in Sydney. How could they do this to me? Um, and you know, it's like, well, maybe other teams are just getting better. And, you know, like you said, there's a lot of things like, sure, we underperformed. There are some interviews coming out now, uh, sort of shedding a bit of light on how the players felt in the, in the world cup and throughout the, the past couple cycles. And so, um, you know, I view it and I have for a long time as, as a good thing that we're losing our dominance. Um, I, I actually think it's great. Um, and this is someone who was like, I, I'm American. I have like, this is a picture of Marcus Beasley. I, you know, I, I'm a U.S. national team fan, but not at the expense of like wanting other teams to not get better. Um, sure. and it, in it's so different in the women's game where it's like a rising tide lifts all boats and you just want everyone, like, I just mm-hmm. want everyone mm-hmm. to get paid. I want them to get the bonuses they're supposed to be getting. I want them to get all the sponsorship deals. I want like no offense, but like Alex Morgan doesn't need more money. Like I want those deals to be going to other people. 
Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other people who need yeah. them. And we're starting to get there, thankfully. Um, so it's, you know, I was, I mean, <laughs> I was cheering with the Vietnamese when they saved that penalty <laughs> against us because that that crowd was like half Vietnamese people. It was amazing. Um, but I was in my Sophia Smith and, U.S. national team jersey. It's just like, yeah. you have to decide what you want out of this sport and what you want for women. And the U.S. national team winning a third World Cup in a row is not great for, for women. Yeah, yeah. No. For American and, and women, I think, sure. But yeah. it's not like it. there's so much more to be gained by us getting knocked out in the round of 16. Then I agree. I think it it causes us to be more self-reflective too on the U.S. side, and hopefully, positive things come from that. You know, and and there are many countries that have under you know underperformed, and then they kind of went back to the drawing room. But I agree with your point of like just being as a fan of the game, like knowing the potential there is in the women's game, and even looking at the teams that were performing. You know, Jamaica having like a GoFundMe, right? Yeah. Spain, even being champions, leaving what was it like twelve of their players at least at home because of everything going in within their own coaching staff and and federation. And then we see at the 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 um like awarding of the trophy, you know, even seeing like there's so much so there's much room to go. And you were saying gatekeeping and, and even more so, you know. Um but but I can see your point of like, you know, and and I'm sitting here like I, you know, lived in Thailand for two years and just the mm-hmm. fact that they had gotten the two World Cups was amazing when it is amazing. Like if you're if you're a young girl in Thailand, like you can't find an all girls team till you're like 13, 14. Yeah. And then there's very few options. And like maybe you get picked for like your province or your state's school and you play with those girls, but then you have to travel like to all these other states. Like there's right. no infrastructure, right? And I met and it's gotta be very similar in Vietnam and in, in other places. And so Hopefully, with the success of various countries or even like Vietnam, a 3-1 against the U.S. is massive, yeah. right? Um, and frustrating the the U.S. to that level and, and, and performing that way. And so hopefully it's like now the federations are seeing like, okay, there is so much potential for the game to grow from a, a performance level, but also like from a fan and cultural level, too. Um, and, and I think that is, you know, must be happening in some places, but then in others we see it's still not, you know. Yeah, and it... <sighs> What FIFA may say is happening, you know, the FIFA, like a couple of weeks ago, they said, oh, we're going to give the money directly to the federations to give to the players to pay the bonuses or whatever. And you just like, I mean, the Jamaican players haven't been paid in forever. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no one holding the holding people accountable for following through on this stuff. And and that happens on the men's side, too. You hear as well. Um, It's just a lot more prevalent in the women's game. And. You know, I, to be honest, I, like I said, I sort of dropped off from following the women's game for a while. So I, I hadn't been to an NWSL game or a women's club pro game in the U.S. until like 2019. So I'm still a pretty recent fan. There are people who have been reporting on this and paying money out of their own pockets mm-hmm. to follow and do like, there's been so much hard work done by so many people to get things to where they are today, to where these stories are getting reported and where they're coming out by people who just have contacts in the game they've had forever. It's, there was so much content around this Women's World Cup. It was, there was, there was. I couldn't yeah. even keep, I was like, I'm at the World Cup. I don't have time for these podcasts and like these videos. I don't, I don't have the time, but it, you know, it's, I think last week going into the final, I have almost, I've never been more exhausted as a fan of the women's game. It was such a brutal week. I think with, um, you know, most people have had really mixed feelings about the Spanish team advancing. Um, I'm not going to get mm-hmm. into the details. There have been, I mean, every outlet has been covering um, yeah. at least the, the summary of that story before the, before the events that happened on Sunday. Um, and then there was like a, a poll in England so that people didn't think there should be a public holiday if the Lionesses won the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, outlets paying these idiots to write op-eds about why it won't mean as much for the women in England to win the World Cup as it would for when the men did in 66 and then Kensington Palace reported that no one from the royal family was going. Yeah, like the <laughs> which one of the I don't, I don't care. Wrong, the head for, of the FA, right? I don't care for the royals, but Prince William is literally yeah. the president of the FA. This would be the equivalent yeah. of Cindy Cohn not being at a World Cup final that the yeah. US is playing in. And then he released some ghastly video with only his daughter sitting next to him. Like, you have two sons. Like he he's choosing to send a message that like this is not for men and boys. Hmm. 
that, you know, so like all of that is happening. And then Gianni Infantino gives his speech about yeah. women just not knocking on the right doors. Um, and that we just have to convince men to help us. And in yeah. the background of all of that, um, all of the Manchester United nonsense with Mason Greenwood is happening. And they're like, yeah. we're waiting for the Manchester United women's players to get back from the World Cup to ask them what they want us to do. It was a terrible week to be a women's soccer fan. It was so, I just wanted to like throw my phone out the window and just lay in bed. And I was like, I just, we're approaching the pinnacle event. Yeah, it should be a time of like joy and celebration. So so tired of all of this. And I can't even be like that excited for the final because Mappy Leon from Barcelona is one of my favorite players and she's not playing in this final. Like this is all Mm -hmm. insane. It is just so, and this is what it, honestly, this is what it's like being a fan of the women's game. It's, it's just uphill constantly. There's never even ground. There's definitely never downhill it's just uphill mm-hmm. constantly and that's just as a fan like I I can't imagine what it's like to be a player or a coach or someone who's you know trying to start a team or trying to help a team out I mean the amount of crowdfunding that goes on yeah. on the women's side of the game is just insane and like I said journalists who've paid spent so much of their money um following these teams around just to do like the basic duty of care yeah. of reporting yeah. for the sport um, which now a lot of them, you know, they're not getting paid by the major outlets. A lot of them have gone to like the athletic or they've started their own sort of websites and, and their own income streams. Um, so it's, it's been a fascinating evolution, but it was for how great the group stage was at the world cup. It, it was a really tough final week of it just with all of that going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything. <laughs> super uh intelligent to add honestly i agree it's like in a time that should be of celebration of just like all of like hey, fantastic athletes playing at such a high level yeah. um and and i think like as we're speaking about the game has has been improving so much like the quality of the matches mm-hmm. the yeah but like the, the speed of play the tempo um just you know unbelievable um yeah and so yeah i think again, maybe it's like we're saying it's a deeper cultural thing, obviously. Um, but you would think even at the higher levels where it's like, I feel like with this performance, like we are proven, right? Like, aren't we knocking it? Like, aren't we doing this? Aren't we right. like doing the best we can to advocate like for ourselves? And, and so it's very, it's very frustrating. Um, yeah. To, certainly to the, as, the play that was happening on the field was incredible. And I think a lot yeah. of people agree with that. And, you know, a lot of people's eyes have been opened. Um, I was at the Euros last summer in England and, you know, there was a marked change in attitude toward the women's game than what I'd experienced during my previous time there. And, you know, that was everything from like women my age taking their dads to games and just listening Mm -hmm. to the dads be like, oh my God, these women are really great. Or, you know, men on the train talking about like, oh, France is based in this random team in the Midlands. And like, we've been to every France game just because we're, you know, so it was really like, really picking up steam but there's so for a, for a country that the U.S. like holds in such high esteem for this sport they have some really backwards attitudes um and not obviously I'm using a very wide brush to paint them with here but it's there's so much work to be done there um and there That'd are people be, that are yeah. trying really hard to get it but yeah. it's just so ingrained that you know it's a men's sport there they they banned women from playing the game for 50 years. Yeah, I saw you. I didn't even know that. I didn't even. Could well, you so share there that? you go. So they hit it yeah. well, obviously. Um, yeah. And they're like, yeah, we love our lionesses. It's like from 1921 to 1971, women could not play soccer in England because it got too popular. Uh, and it was more popular than the men's after World War One. So here wow. we are. Wow. Someone asked yeah. me the other day, they're like, has England ever won a Women's World Cup? And I was like, oh, <laughs> There are five decades behind. Yeah, yeah, and despite that, to pull off the Euros and then, yeah, uh, and then make the World Cup final. Yeah, it's incredible. Know, it's, it's, yeah. So, so we'll pivot a little bit here. We'll go a little bit close to home. You know, talk mm-hmm. about kind of like the the PA and Philly soccer scene. And, and um, I was going to bring up, you know, with with uh, back in the day is uh, you know the Philadelphia Charge. So it sounds like you didn't quite make it to a Charge <laughs> I didn't, game no. back in the day. Did not. So. 
Yep. So I remember going to those games. I mean, being fortunate, they played at Villanova University mm-hmm. Stadium and uh, being pretty local to there. I remember going to, and then speaking of like English players made an impact like Kelly Smith, yeah. total baller and, and try like the face of the franchise. And, um, but then, you know, that, then that league had its, its time at the time that coach was Mark Krikorian, who's now at Florida state and they're, they're crushing yeah, it. They um, are. And they one of the top, top like NCAA programs right now. Um, and then we had a thing like the Philadelphia independence, um, you know, and it's just kind of been, been stop and start now. Um, but, uh, now done NWSL. I mean, we've got like New York, obviously is a mm-hmm. franchise. Um, and I know there's been a bit of a push for, for, you know, Philadelphia as well yeah. to, to kind of get that, um, with MLS kind of, they're saying they're hitting about capacity with their franchise and things like where do you think like NWSL is in their kind of growth stage? Um, they're maybe definitely the expanding. Super help, but like at this point, they've been expanding. You know. That's for sure, and that's a great sign for the league. If you look at it's, it's apples and oranges. But if you look at a league like the WNBA, which has not expanded and is <laughs> twenty five years old, um, and is really you know they keep saying they're going to do it, but they they haven't done it. Um, the growth in the NWSL is really good, and it. I think there's people are doing it in good faith. Um, and you're getting like a great diversity of where the money's coming from and who's investing. Obviously, Angel City is a crazy example of how that can mm-hmm. happen. But you, you know, it, all the time it feels like you hear about another athlete investing in a women's team or a, a joint, you know, men's women's team ownership group, um, which I think is really great for the sport. Uh, I love the NBA, so I'm super pumped anytime the NBA player gets involved in the NWSL. Yeah. Um, I love it. Um, I, unfortunately, I think a lot of the Philadelphia area folks who do sports ownership groups and things like that, they're already tied up in other NWSL teams, um, which, you know, I can't complain about that. But when you think about who could bring a team here, there's, you know, some conflicts that would have to be or some divesting that would have to go on mm-hmm. um, to get, you know, the normal people you would think of who would put the money down um, to be able to actually do it from a legal standpoint. Um I would love having a women's team here. It would be incredible. Um, there's obviously a ton of talent in this area For and sure. interest in the sport. I mean, this is one of the greatest soccer cities I've ever lived in, just from a standpoint of being a fan, being uh, a recently unretired adult rec league player. There you <laughs> um, go. Good for you. And, you know, and getting involved with, you know, Icarus and and all of that stuff. There's, I mean, Diodora is headquartered at Bach Building a couple blocks from me. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Their really? U.S. offices okay. are there. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Shout out to the Italians. <laughs> keep the, still, keep yeah, still kicking. still um, kicking. I see Serie A jerseys all over South Philly. It's hilarious. Like, very on brand. Um, so it's, you know, this is an incredible soccer city, and I'm so excited. It's a host city for 2026. It's I know. That's going to be massive. Um, That's going to be massive. It's going to be great. And, then, yeah. you know, um, we've got the Unity Cup here, which is Philly's own sort of version of the – of the world cup they have a men's mm-hmm. tournament which i think last year and this year the group stage had 48 different countries playing yeah it, which is, it's amazing what they did a huge draw and i think it's just crazy like and it's put on by now, the yeah. parks and rec department and they're getting yeah. a women's version off the ground and just oh awesome the awesome. yeah so it's um you know people love the sport here and it's not you know only an mls city you get all kinds of people and all kinds of interests and t- you know there are a ton of colleges here too so you get that that scene as well. So um, it's a pretty good place for me to, for me to end up for somewhere that, you know, doesn't have a team playing actually in the city downtown um, close to where I am, but also not having a women's team. Uh, I'm pretty happy here as a fan, despite those two things. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been, you know, growing up in this area, always producing very good players on the men and the women's time. It would be, I would love to see a women's club in the area that could have an academy to be able to develop mm-hmm. players through like the union has been able to yeah. do from, you know, and we now, we now see the stories with, you know, Brendan Aronson and, yeah. and now Paxton Aronson, just like what the union have done. And like, there's absolutely that talent on the women's side too. Yeah. Um, so really hoping that it would, it would be great to see that pipeline because being in the youth game, I know that there's, there are definitely some really big clubs on, on the girls side, but mm-hmm. um, I think that having like the, the professional team as an option, to yeah. go through would really just help of just all right all the players are here and just providing that pathway right. um, would be really great to see um and then kind of you said like when you're attending games right you, you feel like you're more of an observer right so I definitely have some questions about mm-hmm. you know some of the differences I even I even have questions about like 
the pre-match experience getting to an indoor yeah. stadium, right? So for yeah. the United States, we're such a car-centric country, right? So you're getting in the car. How much is parking going to be? How long are we going to sit in the parking lot for, you know? Um, so what are some of like the more uh, notable or interesting commutes to your the, <laughs> the stadiums that you can recall? Um, a lot of Metro rides. Um, one that sticks out was um, I was in Milan headed to the San Siro to watch an AC Milan game. And I assumed everyone was like on their way home from work because they were also well-dressed, but no, they were, they were going to the game. There was so much leather. There were so many leather products. Everyone wow. was so good. I was like, I am underdressed for this sporting event. Um, so best dressed goes to Milan. Makes sense. It doesn't matter where they are. Sure. Gonna, um, yeah. I like to walk to stadiums if possible. So I, I'll try to pick my lodging in an area where that's at least an option because, you know, late night trains aren't always running necessarily. Um, I now as a woman and someone who's usually traveling, traveling alone, uh, there are a lot of different considerations that go into my game day experience down mm -hmm. to what I'm wearing. Am I wearing makeup? Can I run away from someone in my shoes? You know, it's, <laughs> you're constantly worried for your own safety and that extends to sort of the, the public transit and how you're getting there. So it's always a judgment call. Um, I don't drink I, during these times. I stay totally sober so that I have all of my wits about me. Um, mm -hmm. Make sure I have, I'm paying for cell service internationally, just in case there's, in case anything happens. Um, but generally I'll take the the train, I've taken some buses um, and I like to walk. I'm trying to think if I've ever taken a boat to a game. I don't. Plane, <laughs> <laughs> trains, automobiles, right? I don't think I have. Um, I was on a shuttle. One, my, my most memorable, well, there are two. One funny and one like less funny. The less funny one, I was on my way home from an Aston Villa game in Birmingham and I was the only woman in the train car. Mm. and it was like after the game and you know you can't drink at your seat at stadiums in England but people drink before and and at halftime and and after and um someone asked me if I was alone and you know being asked that yeah <laughs> not a full of men is that your then, only like, thing you got yeah having to get home from the train station was um terrifying to be completely honest um a funnier story which is also sad in its own way uh, I was on a shuttle bus in Kaliningrad, Russia, from the city center to the stadium for the Serbia-Switzerland game. And I was on a bus full of Swiss people. And again, I was a woman traveling alone. Um, there may have been one or two other women on the bus, but this this group of, you know, probably 50-year-old Swiss men were sort of chatting to me and like, oh, you're an American, cool. Da-da-da, a couple minutes go by and one of them comes over to me. Um, and he's like, oh, so like you're actually a spy, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> And he was like, you American, work in intelligence. Yeah. And I was like, I, okay. And there were, there were like some rumors of nuclear warheads in Kaliningrad at the time. So I was like, okay. I mean, I saw something in the headlines about it. I don't know. And he, he goes, there's, he said to me, there's no other reason for an American woman to be going to a world cup game in, in Russia. And I was like, okay, dude, <laughs> have a good game. See you later. Yeah. Um, like you're so, on the list now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I know I should have figured you're getting detained. Um, but it's a lot of that, you know, my, my commute to a game is a lot of being asked or being sort of looked at and people trying to figure out if I'm by myself. And then the commute out of a stadium is me trying to make sure no one's following me. Yeah. Again, differences. I mean, I went to the, I was at Park the Prince for the Champions League mm -hmm. match in, uh, in, in February is like, PSG Bayern and uh -huh. obviously going and and there's going to be considerations because you're in the city there's just a lot of people around yes there's alcohol involved it's like you don't know if things are going to pop off they have the the stadiums like pretty much I don't know two block radius is all mm -hmm. shut up you can only get in with a ticket and things so like yeah even for the you know at the best of times again this is the the dark side of like the game that we love is that it has that pull on people but it also just creates this uh environment for you know, just being too much, you know, and, and so I think that's the, the challenge. Um, what do you think is, is something you would take from something you've seen, uh, let's say, regardless whether it's the U.S. or, or bro, we talked about kind of like the demographics and just the mm -hmm. overall feeling, but like from a maybe a design standpoint, 
the the way that you line up for ticketing queue like what would you wish like this one thing every stadium should have to make it like the best game day or match day experience uh okay germany probably has the best game day experiences for a lot of reasons um some of the the worst things i've experienced um are i mean in italy you had to i had to like give my passport number when i was buying to wow. they want to know where and they know where everyone is and they, they know who's in what seat and where and i'm like man i spend so in my brain i'm just like what happened here <laughs> like yeah that made it like this like this is insane and they're checking at every you know so they're like you can't there are gates between the sections you can't go you can't do a 360 year on the stadium mm-hmm. you are in your section and they know who is in there if anything pops off um another way to tell how lit a stadium has gotten in the past is if there are uh, toilet seats in the women's room or if they've been removed so that they can't be used mm. with, you know a weapon or a projectile yeah um which is pretty funny <laughs> inconvenient um, yeah um germany is the best game day experience i have had um there are a few reasons one being public transit is regional public transit is included in the ticket of your in the price of your ticket fantastic you just yes. like show it it's got the logo so it would have like the septa logo on a ticket here you just show it to the the train steward and you get free transit all day um you can have beer at your seat there and it's good local beer. Uh, a few of the stadiums I've been to, you know, you pay four and a half euros for a beer. So let's say that's like six dollars, six and a half dollars. If you return your cup, you get one or two euro back. Mm. <laughs> so at the end of the game, you've had like four or five beers and you spent like eight, you know, sixteen, twenty dollars, yeah. and the stadium is spotless. There's Amazing. no tra- there's no trash anywhere. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. So for all it's that, really not that hard. Like it's yeah. pretty civilized. Yep. Um, and the food, you know, so that's definitely from a, like, wow, they've got it figured out here. Yeah. Like people not trashing a stadium, but I think part of it is that the ticket prices are low. So people don't feel entitled. Like when you're an American and you've spent $300 to take a family of four to a sporting event. Yeah. It's like a mini vacation. You feel like throwing away your trash. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. You leave it there for someone else to do. So, um, it's just really a really different, like understanding of what a match day experience can and should be there um and you know i haven't been everywhere so i'm sure there are other equally as awesome places that really have it sort of nailed down but yeah it's different everywhere like i said there are different safety checks in certain places um in italy i also i got a discounted ticket because i was a woman Mm -hmm. at a game which i was not sure how to feel about i still don't know how to feel about it i was like was that like at the ticket you like went to the ticket all well, so i bought i or i you know i ordered it on i had to fill out like this form in fact that this was a, a fiorentina game um and i didn't you know they had these ticket categories and i one of them said like you know it's, it was like for older people and women and i was like well okay they mean old women so i just tried to you know it's like i'm just gonna pay the whole price and then when they sent it to me they were like oh you checked the wrong category like you're a woman, you get a discounted ticket. And I was wow. like, who in the boardroom made this? Dis- like, what? <laughs> it was 33% less than a men's ticket for someone in my age bracket. It was so weird. Um, I, you know, I was unemployed at the time. So I was like, I mean, I we'll take it. <laughs> great to save the money, it's but like more, there, are, more spaghetti there are problems with this that, you know, people seem to think like, no, this is a great idea. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> And uh, is there, when you go to matches, is there like any souvenir or something like that that you get? Or like, what's the one, you know, you know, a big one for soccer, you got the scarves or the, yeah. obviously there's different flags and banners. Like, is there something you try to get as a little uh, I, memento or token everywhere you go? For a time I would get, um, if a U.S. player was on a team, I would get their jersey. Even if they were just like getting garbage time minutes or not making match day squads, I would still get their name put on the jersey. Um, I, this is going to sound really obnoxious. And privileged because it is. Um, but I really only buy jerseys in person now. I with a few exceptions, like a US national team, I'll you know mm. have that so that I can wear it to a game. But that's how I keep my jersey collection down is I I only buy them at stadiums. That's smart. That's <laughs> smart. That would help me. Yeah, so a closet that becomes, that I'm not gonna touch. Well, and yeah. it's it's I don't buy them everywhere either it depends on like where I'm traveling and what and so it's it takes a lot for me to buy a club team jersey like I said unless they have an American player or if they have a women's player that I really like I'll get their jersey but I'm not like I didn't buy a Barcelona jersey 
when I was True. going to buy a Real Madrid because I'm like, I don't need the, I don't, <laughs> I'm not giving these teams my money outside mm-hmm. of my match day ticket. Yeah. Um, but I will, you know, there are some places, like I was in Argentina, I bought a Boca Juniors jersey because. Have to, yeah. Obviously, and like I have a Flamengo jersey. So I sort of pick and choose. Um, I got one when I was in Uruguay that I had to go um, to like a uniform store, like the places that have that sell like scrubs for nurses or like kids school uniforms. Okay. I had to get, they were like, you have to go to this uniform. Like, like straight from the warehouse supplier. Basically. To buy a Danubio yeah. jersey. And I was like, okay, like I don't speak Spanish. I took, I was, <laughs> I got it though. I got it. It's a great jersey. It's Edison Cavani's first club. Um, awesome. So it's, awesome. it's fun to try. Some places are like, we don't sell stadium. We yeah. don't sell jerseys at yeah. the stadium. Like you have to go on this wild goose chase and it makes for a great story. So absolutely awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I love that idea. It's definitely going to help me save a lot of money Yeah, um, and add, you know, a, a memory to the, uh, to yeah, the you end up with some sure. weird, <laughs> like I have a Danny Williams Huddersfield town Jersey. So, you know, going to rock that someday. There you, you go, the terriers. Yeah. Woman out in yep. Philly <laughs> wearing that. That's me. Yeah. Awesome. There's not many people that can say that he probably exactly. still doesn't have his, I know. Uh, a Huddersfield <laughs> kit. So awesome. So this has been great. I mean, I think uh, hopefully our, our listeners are going to obviously be inspired to just go and explore more of the world and and, yeah. and experience so many different faces and, and manifestations of this, this game that we love. Um, and obviously talking about a lot of the issues that there are in the game, particularly yeah. on the, the women's side, particularly on, you know, trying to be more in, inclusive culturally uh, within stadiums and sharing the, you know, the game that, that so many people do love. And it's been fantastic. As we wrap up each podcast episode, you know, Jessica, could you Finish the sentence because football dot dot dot. Uh, because football, I have been able to travel the world by myself. Yeah, and I can't think of many better reasons. So <laughs> gotta love that. Awesome. Well, I have about two hundred other questions for you. Yeah, no. We could probably do another five more. We didn't even touch on La Bombonera, which I'm like heartbroken about. Yeah, that's okay. Um, you know, there, there's so much. So, and I'm definitely going to be uh, following up with you for for travel tips uh, as I try to get more of these places on my itinerary. But but really appreciate it. You know, really enjoyed this and, and all your insight and the things that definitely got me thinking about a lot of things that I never really uh, considered before um, when it comes to those experiences. So, you know, for that, I yeah, feel like I learned here. and I appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah, if anyone Great. has questions, they can uh, reach out via Instagram. Absolutely. Yep, we're going to have soccer sabbatical. There's not a better handle on the gram. We'll have the links and everything to, to be able to get in touch. But thanks so much. And yeah, hopefully yeah. We'll, we'll see you around Philly.